we're going to look yet again at another prophet today, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. I will quickly read it now. Zephaniah says this, sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. And the King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. And I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. And I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we do pray on this day of joy as we proclaim your truth of your coming and your coming again in word and in song. And so we give you great praise for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, because of the fact that it is just eight days away, if you can believe it, from Christmas, And because of the fact that we get to hear wonderful, joyful singing from our choir and playing from our instrumentalist, and because of the fact that we not long ago lit the third candle, which is the candle of joy, and because of the fact that this Zephaniah passage that I just read is full of joy and rejoicing, I was very tempted to simply stay on that train and to have us continue to think about and to wrestle with and to tell you to celebrate, to sing out, to rejoice, to be full of joy. But the more I wrestled with it this week, the more I realized that in many ways, this would not be giving joy its due, nor would it be giving Zephaniah its due. One of the worst things I think around is to have to be joyful when you do not want to be joyful. One of the most difficult things to do is to act like you are full of joy and to keep this facade when you do not want to be a person of joy, 
Not long ago, we had a distant family member who was uh, not doing well, was clearly uh, near the end of his life, and so most of the family had gathered around. And on this particular day, as you can imagine, it was a bit of a solemn time as everyone had just kind of gathered around even his bed, and they were sitting there, you know, speaking softly, when all of a sudden the last sibling barged through the front door and said, hey, everyone, how many games of cribbage have you guys been playing? And went on and on in this loud, quote, pseudo joyful way. And for those who had gathered on that day, it felt rude. It felt bizarre. It felt clearly out of place. And without question, what this sibling was trying to do was either to try to bring this false joy into their lives or even more likely she was trying to fake it herself. And so I decided that today, rather than just kind of jumping on the joy train, I wanted us to think a little bit more before we talk about joy. Because the truth, of course, is that for many different reasons, we may not be feeling all that excited about this season Oftentimes, of course, they call this a a blue Christmas, right? For those who have lost loved ones for whatever reason, perhaps maybe they're just not showing up this Christmas or maybe they've passed away. Christmas can be remarkably dark and griefful. For others who perhaps do not love uh, beautiful, gray, rainy days like we're having today, it can be kind of sad, And many of us perhaps have other things going on, right? Maybe jobs that have been lost, or maybe you just wrestle with a sense of depression or sadness. There are many reasons why we may not be feeling very joyful today. And I think it's important for us to give voice to that. But today, as I was thinking about Zephaniah, I also also realized that there is another reason why perhaps those of us, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus, why it is that we may not be feeling joy. And I think Zephaniah would have us pay attention to that. You see, Zephaniah, the reason why I felt like it'd be a little disingenuous just to kind of talk about the exciting part of Zephaniah is if you've read this book, it's only about three chapters long, but this is the only happy part of it. The rest of Zephaniah, and again, you can go home and take a look at it if you'd like. The rest of Zephaniah is not nearly as joyful as this final part. Once again, a prophet shows up, and you know prophets show up, as we've been saying over the last couple of Sundays, because of the fact that there are things that are not going well. The people of God are not doing a good job of following God. And once again, there are a litany of reasons of why this is. I'm not going to get into all of those today. There's only one that I want us to focus on today. And that is that what God is seeing is that the people who are following him have begun to grow complacent in their faith. In fact, what Zephaniah says is that they are saying, the Lord will not do good, nor will the Lord do harm. In other words, in their lives, while they may speak of God, the truth is this, if they were honest, they would say, God is basically benign. By and large, there it is this deistic God who perhaps started the world but doesn't really care one way or the other. And so our actual lives then do not reflect a belief in a living God at all. 
And remember what we said about prophets, which is that they love coming up with images, right? They're artists. They love to paint pictures. And so the picture here that Zephaniah paints is that of the dregs of wine, the dregs of wine. He says, you are like the dregs of wine, which is the, the sediment, if you will. Now, dregs can actually be good. They can give the, the flavor and the body to wine. But the problem is, is if the bottle stays still for too long, eventually those dregs cause the whole bottle to become thick and syrupy and stale. And so Zephaniah comes up with this image of what this is like. He says, this is like those who follow God. You see, here's the danger on the outside of the wine bottle. Just like on the outside of those who are following God like this, they will say the right things. It looks good. It looks full. It looks like it would be tasty. It looks like everything is in great shape. But as soon as you uncork the bottle... As soon as you take a closer look inside, all of a sudden you begin to realize that the person has grown stale. That it has become much less because it has not been doing what it was called to do. It hasn't been drank, if you were a bottle of wine, and it hasn't been living out its faith if you are a follower of the Almighty. And what Zephaniah is concerned about here is he says, if you believe God is indifferent, then the reality is your faith will be indifferent and you can rest assured that nobody is coming to worship full of joy when they believe that their faith and that God does not matter and is not real in their lives. But the problem is this, you see, that while we might be indifferent, the truth, of course, is our God is not indifferent. And so what does Zephaniah do again? He comes up with another image. Now, I found this imminently fascinating. I've been here now for just about 10 years, and at no point have we ever had lamps in the sanctuary. But during Advent, we have lamps. Have you noticed them? There's one all the way over there. There's one that's getting closer and closer. And guess what Zephaniah uses as an image? Yes, yeah, it's not that hard, guys. This is not that hard. So I said to Jason, I wouldn't mind using a lamp this week. And he said, well, I actually have a, I have a third one. Excuse me. So here it is. Now, we don't know for sure that Zephaniah did this, but I do know, A, that other prophets, they didn't just tell a story about, a, 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 they didn't just describe something, they actually acted it out, right? So Hosea uh, um, um, laid down on his side for 390 days to enact kind of what um, God had told him to do. So, had, uh, so uh, did Ezekiel. And so, uh, and I know this is going to mortify uh, my children, but I, 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 what I know is this, is that, is, that, is that likely, right? If you can imagine the Zephaniah, he's going around, he's saying, you know what God's doing? He's going, you're nervous. He's going around and he is looking for people. Don't take this personally. It just happened to be where you are at the moment. He's looking for people whose faith is complacent. 
And so he's going from one person to the next and he is looking, he is examining your lives. You see, because what God wants you to know is know that God is actually very active and is not indifferent. And what he's looking for are people's lives who have grown complacent in their faith. Now, we need to be clear. This is not a fun game of hide-and-go-seek that God is trying to play. In fact, if you look at Zephaniah, what you begin to see is actually he's looking to punish those whose faith has gone dormant and who do not believe that God is actually alive. But here's what we also know. Any of us who give voice to God and yet don't really believe that God is going to do anything, the truth is this, our punishment has already begun. Because anyone who doesn't believe that God is actually going to do anything in their lives will always live lives that are somewhat hopeless. Anyone, especially followers of Jesus, please hear me, who gives voice to the reality of the living God and yet in their lives believe deeply that God is actually dead, will always walk around feeling like a fraud. And there is no joy in feeling like you are living a life that is fraudulent. And anyone who doesn't believe that God is active and alive, you know what it means? It means then that you have to be the one who is in control. And anytime that you think that everything is up to you, you will live a life of chronic anxiety. Because deep down you know there is no way that it can all be up to you. And so what we begin to see is Zephaniah is slowly but surely trying to shed light into the life of those who are following God to say, do you genuinely believe that God is active and alive in your midst? What God is doing or what Zephaniah is doing is inviting us to a life of hope and authentic life and peace, but he is also inviting us to joy. And this is what Zephaniah 3 is about. It is an invitation to joy. You see, our spiritual giants, those who have gone before us, those who understand joy more deeply than perhaps what most of us do, they understood this connection between joy and believing in an active living God. So Eugene Peterson says this about joy he says, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence. It's not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. And then Peterson goes on to say this. He says, joy has a history. Joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. Did you hear that? It only comes when you actually believe that God is doing something in your life. So then Richard Foster has this great statement, I think. I love this, and it speaks to what I was saying at the beginning. Many people try to come into joy far too soon. Often, 
and we in the church are frequently guilty of this. We try to pump up people with joy when in reality nothing has happened in their lives. God has not broken into the routine experiences of their daily existence. Celebration comes when the common ventures of life are redeemed. So what we begin to see here, what Foster and what Peterson are saying is if you want to be a person of joy, it begins, of course, you cannot force it, but it is a consequence. It is what happens as you begin to live into the reality that God is active and alive. What is Advent about? It is about remembering that Jesus has come into this earth because he is not indifferent to us and that God, that Jesus will come again. Now, what's interesting is that Richard Foster, when he talks about this last passage that I just read, this is in his book, Celebration of Discipline. I would encourage you, if you you haven't read it it's a it's a classic and it has all these different medit- all these different spiritual practices like silence meditation prayer a worship service all of these things these are all practices and they're practices that are not there to conjure up a dead god they are practices that are there to wake us up to where God is alive. And you see, when he wrote this chapter on celebration and joy, he put it at the very end with great intentionality because he said, I do not want to push you to joy. I do not want to tell you to sing out, to be joyful, if that is not where you are. But you see what it is also this beautiful reminder to us, and I keep saying this, but it is still true. If we are not willing to engage in those practices of slowing down and of listening and of meditating and reflecting on the word, if we continue running this way and that, then we should not be surprised when we have forgotten that God is actually active and alive in our world and in your life. Now, here's the remarkable thing about this passage in Zephaniah. If you're ever wondering to yourself, I wonder what God thinks about me. Zephaniah 3 is one of the most beautiful descriptions of this. What does he say? God will rejoice over you with gladness. God will renew you in his love. God will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. Do you hear that? When God sees you, God sings over you. When God sees you, he exalts over you. When God sees you, it is like a celebration. It says it's like on a day of festival. It's like a Mardi Gras parade that God is throwing for you. You see, what God has done here is he has traded the the lamp or the lantern in for a limbo party. And God has shifted from condemnation to celebration. And one of the things that you need to know when it comes to God is this, is that the God who created you is the God who celebrates you. The God who shaped you is the God who sings over you. The God who examines you is also the God who exalts over you. 
And yes, the God who makes demands on you, like making, like admitting that God is alive in your midst, is also the God who delights in you. You see, God cannot allow us to be indifferent to him because God cannot be indifferent to us. It is impossible and goes against the character of God to not care and love for you, love you so much that God will come looking for you. Now there's one last image. This is not necessarily a prophetic image. It is a wee bit that I want you to remember. Several years ago now, six, seven, eight years ago now, I can't remember, I was in Romania for 10 days uh, partnering or looking with or working with some of the pastors that we work with there in Romania. Um, at that point, my children were around two, four, six, and eight. I wish they could have stayed at that age because it's really easy to remember. <laughs> so I had never been gone that long for them, 10 days. It felt, it felt like it was a long time. Apparently, it felt even longer to my wife, as I'm sure it did. So I get off the plane in Indianapolis after we finally returned. And I call my wife and I say, okay, we're here. I'm getting off the plane. And she says, okay, great. Grab your suitcase. Uh, we're outside. We're in the car. Well, we're lining up. We will uh, we'll pick you up. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I was somewhat disappointed. I thought, I haven't seen you guys in 10 days. Surely you could just come inside. Surely you're excited to see me. But apparently they were not. <laughs> So I get off the plane, I was with Dave Gall, and we kind of, you know, I kind of, you know, we, 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 we come and we go through the security, all of a sudden we're out of the security, and there we are in that main area there of the Indianapolis airport, and I look, and there they are. My four little girls, again, two, four, six, and eight, and I will never forget their expression. They were so excited, they came running to me. Other passengers were in the way, not for long. They went through them, they did whatever they could, and they came and they grabbed a hold of me. In fact, not long after that, my wife Megan took a picture of it. Uh, I have that picture here. Um, there you can see them. Now, uh, the two-year-old looks like, who is this man? Uh, it had, it had f clearly been too long for her, I will admit that. But this was one of the greatest moments of my life. And Zephaniah chapter three, God says, I will bring you home. And I appreciate what Scott Hosey says, because he says, you know what? This is just like this airport scene. But it's actually, right, God is like these four little girls and he's there waiting for you. So that when you, at that day of the Lord, when you approach him, God in this case is like those four little girls screaming, excited, the nervousness, you know, just kind of the, 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 the chanting and the, the, the balled up fists as they just get so excited. You've seen this, right? All of this excitement that's balled up. And as soon as God sees you, it is like the dam gets released. The tears begin to flow and he comes up and he embraces you because God has been waiting for you and delights in you and now you are home. And if on this day you are wrestling with discovering joy, I want to suggest to you 
that if nothing else, perhaps this morning you can simply know this, that God discovers joy in you. That when God looks at you, he delights in you, he sings over you, he throws a party over you. God delights in you. And God desires for us to be awakened to this God who cannot and is not indifferent to us. May we experience that joy so that we then can sing with great joy over the God who loves us so. For Christ and for his kingdom. Hallelujah. Amen.